What is up, guys? Thank you for sticking around through those commercials. And we are joined by our special guest today. He has been on Bitcoin Magazine Live, however, never talking to us. Ansel and FedWatch have kept him to ourselves, but we finally got Tom Luongo to join us on a honestly, the day couldn't have been better. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you for having me. I hope everybody's enjoying Fed Day. <laughs> exactly. I didn't realize when I had uh, planned this out to, to have you come join us that not only would this be for our 100th episode of Bitcoin Magazine Live, but it would also be the most important FOMC meeting. And I feel like that jackass who's, who does the, this is the most important election of our life. <laughs> this is the most important FOMC meeting of our life. But it really feels like it is. It, it really does, doesn't it? I, I'm not going to argue with you about that. I, the more I think about it, certainly I think actually the, e, the it was the most important ECB meeting of all time last week. All right. And I, I know we're going to get into that today because that's kind of my thing, right? Is, you know, making fun of the ECB. So because uh, at this point, I'm like, I, I don't know about you guys, but this morning I, I, I was up late last night. All right. I couldn't sleep and it was three o'clock rolled around. So the new episode of the very mediocre Obi-Wan series dropped. So I watched that. And as I got done Whoa. watching that, I was checking the markets. What's that? Whoa, terrible yeah. take, terrible take out the gate. I'm going to spoiler alert, but Darth Vader V Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, that was, it wasn't look, it was the better episode than the previous four, but I'm, okay. I look, Obi-Wan's my favorite character. They're not doing him justice. I'm sorry. I, I want to like this series. I do, but I don't like it. I know. He's so washed just, up. He's, so there we are. But that's what they're trying to do. Right. Tom, yeah, we're going to talk about Obi-Wan off air. <laughs> Absolutely. We can do that. That's fine. We can do that later. That's fine. I, I'll, I'll have you on the podcast. We'll do it, we'll do it on my Oh, podcast. I'm so we'll down. All right. Let's so we'll do it. All right. So we'll talk about this after the show. But there I am, four o'clock in the morning. And I, before I go to bed, I'm like looking at the markets. And what do I see? I see ECB meets for emergency meeting this morning and i literally couldn't go to sleep for another 15 minutes because i was cackling so hard because everything that's minutes. happened since the ecb meeting on thursday and then the cpi print on friday and now the market finally coming to me saying oh yeah really the fed might raise 75 basis points we're doing this like 20 minutes before the fed does their thing so we're going to get the announcement from the fed while we're doing this live it'll be actually be kind of interesting um and i think the markets have all now priced in 75 basis points which you know honestly i thought would be powell kind of looking at biden last week when he showed up at the at the white house going dude screw with me and i go 75 obama look at me sideways and i go 100 like that's the way i thought that meeting went down and i'll be honest interesting so now, I mean, then the then then the CPI print comes out and the markets all start reacting like, oh, my God, the Fed's not in control of this and the Fed's not going to pivot anytime soon. We got a worse CPI print than we were expecting. So all these Keynesians are like, oh, my God, we have to raise they, the Fed's really behind the curve. We're going to have to raise rates faster. I'm like, OK, yeah, whatever. I'm like, dude, this is not about inflation at this point. It's cost push inflation. Cost push inflation has no. Um, the monetary policy has no real effect on cost push inflation other than to do dramatic demand destruction at very high interest rates. What are the right? types of what are the okay. other, what are the types of inflation? I'm sorry. <laughs> what are the type? No, I mumbled. What are the oh, different types of inflation? There's two basic types of inflation. There's cost push and demand pull. And Keynesians only ever want to talk about demand pull and central banks only ever want to talk about demand pull and politicians only ever want to talk about demand pull because they always want to paint the picture of we've done such a great job managing the economy that everything is demanding that we pull prices higher because there's so much demand for all of the stuff, wages, labor, 
commodities, oil, gas, all the rest of it, you know, dogs and cats living in living in harmony, all everything's great. Let's move into the future together. Hmm. That's their story. They never want to see the other side of it. They whenever cost push inflation happens, which happens during stagflationary uh, depressions like we had in the 1970s. Okay, when we have something like that, they never want to admit it until it's way too late. And when they finally do admit it, they're like, well, we can still control it. Like, really? And how are you going to control it? Oh, well, we're going to raise interest rates to 20%. Oh, really? So you're going to do that with the core economy of the world. What do you think is going to happen to the rest of the world economy if the Fed goes to 20% interest rates, which it's not going to do, by the way. Even I don't, even I'm not that crazy. This is not going to happen. Like Vietnam can go to 20% interest rates when they have, a, when they have, um, when they have cost push inflation. We can't. Okay. Not anymore. Um, so cost push inflation happens when you ha don't have enough supply. And now everybody who has all this money is running around desperately trying to get all the stuff that they need. And that's pushing prices higher. So everybody needs oil because the demand for oil is relatively inelastic. The demand for food is relatively inelastic. Hell, even the demand for cigarettes is relatively inelastic, right? So, you know, if there's X amount of oil and everybody needs it, well, then there we go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's what cost push inflation is. And that's where we are. And the Fed is, and for the most part, Fed's tools and central bank tools in general just aren't designed for that. I, I wish they were, but they're not. Um, well, no, actually, I don't wish they were because I'm ultimately an Austrian and, you know, a Bitcoin guy and I believe in hard money and all the rest of it. So there you go. So, yeah, that's that's where we are right now. So we're just waiting for the Fed to. So then the question I, 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 I have to ask or when you say that when you. So if I posit something like this, right, I say, OK, if the Fed's not raising rates to tame inflation, because I don't think they are, then what are they doing? That's the big question. I think I have an answer to that, but I, you know, throw it up to you guys before we, you know, before we go any further. And I just filibuster for the next half an hour, which I'm perfectly capable of doing. Right. So I'm just trying to break. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on entertain where my brain is going to take this. Sure. So we, we saw, in my opinion, a pump fake. We saw inflation top out. Mm -hmm. decline and then we got this new reading that made a new all-time high and everyone as you mentioned is in a panic mm -hmm. thinking the fed doesn't really get or know what's going on mm -hmm. i actually i'm going to take the other side of that argument and say not only does the fed know what they're doing when they were saying that inflation is transitory they weren't saying that because they just thought the prices would eventually go down they knew they would have to force a recession and in turn, by forcing the recession, you created this deflationary period to create the illusion of transitory inflation when, in fact, all you're doing is just pressing pause and reintroducing it at a later date, inevitably. Maybe I'm giving Powell and the Fed too much credit there. Um, I'll, how about I run this one by you instead? That's not a bad idea. It's not bad. It's not bad. But I'm going to run a, a kind of simpler one in, in front of you. Um, Powell started... And, I've been, and if you guys are fans of mine, then you know that what I've been saying for the last year, which is that Powell started tightening last year when he raised the reverse repo rate payout rate by five basis points, gutting the euro, changing, you know, overnight, the markets changed. Like all of a sudden that was it. We're now in a euro bear market and um, and the balance on the standing balance on the reverse repo facility at the U.S. at the U.S. Fed started rising rapidly, it had been rising before that. 
was up to 450 billion. But by the end of the summer, we were 1.7 trillion. Today, we're like 2.1 trillion. And but how about this one for you? The better scenario is to think about once the Fed started doing that, what was the political reaction on Capitol Hill? Right. Well, the political reaction on Capitol Hill was, oh, my God, you're going to like kill our big agenda, which is to destroy the, the U.S. dollar and destroy uh, America by because we have all these spending plans and we want to go. We want to push through, you know, umpteen trillion dollars worth of, of spending, which, oh, by the way, you, Jerome Powell and Federal Reserve are going to have to monetize because no one else wants this garbage. So now, what, right. So when you when you put it like that, you have to ask yourself, Powell, who hasn't been reconfirmed as Fed chair right, is in a very tenuous political position. So he talks out of both sides of his mouth about inflation, knowing full well that real inflation is coming down the, the, the pike by the end of the year. He just has to stall the political process as much as possible. Now, he can only do so much. The bigger question is, is anybody else's ally? And this has been my thesis for a while now, because the argument you have to have then is, well, okay, what other allies do you have to have in order to pull this off? Well, the other allies you have to have are the people who are the shareholders and the most powerful of the 12 regional central banks or member banks of the Fed, the New York Fed. And those are the guys who were standing behind Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, who, were, who said no to Build Back Better, who said no to the, the full-blown infrastructure bill and said no to raising the debt ceiling and basically told Nancy Pelosi, no, you're not getting any of this. And we're going to and we're going to just run the clock out on you until inflation starts to happen and the argument for all of the spending evaporates because hey the economy is improving like unemployment's four percent and inflation is rising and all the classic keynesian arguments of we have demand pull inflation is happening now because we're coming out of covid omicron comes out it's not really all that deadly i had it a couple of weeks ago it was annoying and it sapped my energy for two weeks but you know other than that i'm back to you know the prickly self that i was two weeks ago we're, we're all everything's good again so now the question is, you know, when you're looking at that, now you're just trying to figure out how does Powell navigate the waters in Washington, D.C. in order to get to a confirmation date? And what allies did and what political, what changed politically to allow for the Fed to retain its independence from the Treasury Department and Congress and uh, for Powell to survive? And all of those things fell into place. They tried an insider trading scandal against the Fed. Didn't work. They got three Fed governors, Kaplan, Carita, and Rosengren, but they didn't get Powell. They tried to get Powell. They didn't get him. What happens? Then they had to go through three Senate confirmation hearings to put those people, to replace those people before they can re uh, confirm, reconfirm Powell. Eventually, you know, so they put up, you know, Sarah Bloom Raskin and all these freaking commies and it's horrible. But once that's all done, Powell's got to get reconfirmed because he's got the He's got the, the votes in the Senate. And once that happens, he's now free to do whatever he wants. And that's when, that's why I said at the beginning of this, when he went to the meeting with Biden, when he was summoned to the White House, like, yeah, all right. So Fungal Joe the, and his junta of the O'Biden administration are going to summon the Federal Reserve Chair, who now has, you know, basically bomb-proof armor for the next four years, do whatever the hell he wants. That conversation was really short. Dude, we're raising 50 basis points. You get in my way and I'll raise 75. You look at me cross-eyed and I'll go 100. It's that simple. Like, this is what we're doing. Because you people are traitors and you don't work for the United States. You work for Europe. And we're going to break Europe. 
because Europe wants to destroy the commercial banking sector here in the United States. And that's the story. And it's not much more complicated than that. And there have been other market analysts trying to tell you this, right? I'm not the only one saying that. I'm just the first one to the, I'm the one freest to say it. Like people like Daniel DeMartino Booth can't say this stuff, right? But she knows what's going on, but they can't say it. Jamie Dimon, the head, the CEO of, of, of JP Morgan Chase, can't say this stuff. It's too, infl- it's too inflammatory. But I can say it because I'm just some guy with a website who gets who shows up on Zero Hedge and everybody reads. And now the world is beginning to see the totality of the story. But you got to understand that, you know, nothing exists in a vacuum here. Like none of these markets exist in a vacuum. The, the politics doesn't exist in a vacuum. All these decisions are made in a kind of move, counter move thing. And you've got to be willing to constantly shift your focus away from not just capital markets, but the the political scene, the geopolitics and all the rest of it. And if you just identify the key players and see how they're reacting in real time to the, uh, uh, to the incentives, and you can see what's happening next. Like the fed is not going to turn all of its power over to Klaus Schwab. Just not happening. What? I mean, he is literally Satan. So it seems like it'd be a, what what are things that you do to separate the noise from the actual signal? Because some of these leaders will say something because that's what the, the messaging that they need to get out when in actuality, all of their actions point the other way. We saw Bernanke talk about how the job of Fed chief is 98% just posturing and talking and then 2% is done of what you actually do. Right. So how are you separating those things? Can I uh, jump in? Excuse one? me. It's not. A, it's a great, great question. Signal to noise ratio, something that I talk about all the time. Being a former chemist, and for, certainly being a former analytic chemist, and who has learned more and forgotten more about actual, honest to God, everyday signal to noise ratio of, of you know instruments than most people have ever studied in their life. And so that that training has really helped me well over the years. It's it's what's important, I think. And I'm not busting my hand, patting myself on the back or anything. I literally have been trained for 30 years, you know, this to do this in some ways, right? The the key is list is being smart and understanding what the big story of the day is and then realizing how everything fits into the big story of the day. We all talk about the Overton window, right? And the Overton window is important, but the old Overton window sometimes is a big um is a big distraction. Understand that at this point in time everything is about how Davos creates the great reset everything is about that and what you then have to do is just say okay everybody start with the basic premise everybody who's going to who acts or says in a particular way that supports that process they're with team davos and everybody who doesn't do that is not on team davos we'll start there and then the question is, and you can you start with your assumptions, and I always assumed that the Fed was part of all of this until last June, literally tomorrow, a year tomorrow, right? Today's the 15th, tomorrow's the 16th. And as far as I'm concerned, June 16th should be remembered <laughs> as the day the Fed declared independence and ended the coordinated central bank uh, cartel global monetary policy, the, like the coordinated central bank standard that we've had since the fall of Lehman Brothers, um, or really since the 
uh, announcement of the central bank slush fund, which broke the gold market in September of 2011. Really, that was the beginning of the current like monetary system. And it's the broken one we have today. So separating signal to noise is understanding who the major players are and then just mapping who works for whom and who's part of you know, the, the, the various factions and then see who if, who, if anybody switches sides because that happens. And I think I, I'm dead serious when I say, I don't think Jamie Dimon is, is, is on Davos' side anymore. I think he was. And then I think they, they, they told him that they were going to take JP Morgan away from him. And he said, uh, no. <laughs> and, and that was that. And, you know, at that point it's Germany versus Greece again, because Dimon is Greek and Klaus Schwab is German and, you know, old enmities and old, you know, old, uh, old uh, hatreds just bubble to the surface. And, you know, there ain't no love loss between Germans and Greeks, by the way. I mean, this is, this is the problem with Europe as a concept, that the United States of Europe, which is really the EUSSR, is a, is a fallacy. There's 35 cultures. There's how many different languages? These people don't really like each other. And you all want to be under one economic and political rubric? What are you, out of your minds? What am I, 12? You think this is going to work? It's just dumb. It's just, just, just so dumb. So, one thing I was going to ask is, you know, cute asked to sort of signal the noise ratio and how you uh, think about that. Right. This that this wasn't always the case, right? Like there was a. It didn't. It used to be that basically they would come out and they'd be like, "Here's what's happening. Here's your information." And mm -hmm. that, like, what was the times the timeline of us transitioning to this period where there's like. There's the the hinting, the signaling mm -hmm. that we're hinting, the like 4D chess machinations of like, if I say this and then I actually do this, it's going to have this effect and then the market will react. Um, it started once the markets broke in 2008, right? And we entered, the, we entered the period where the central banks were literally keeping the economies from imploding. And so now everything became a three-layered effect. Well, you know, I mean, when inflation is high... You know, when we get a bad CPI print, we're supposed to think, well, you know, we're supposed to think X, right? But no, we have to think of the the third order effect of X because our markets are so cocked up and everything is so mispriced that we have to think, well, bad is good as bad, right? Like if the and it's it, 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 you almost do the zero hedge is really good at this. Like like they're really good. The the the, the Tyler's over at zero hedge are really good at going. Oh, by the way, because of you know, a bad CPI print. That means the Fed now has to raise by 75 basis points when everybody had marked prices price in 50. Whereas, you know, okay, well, that's a first order effect that everybody understands now. But think about times past when, say, the labor market came in hot or consu consumer spending came in under, and then all of a sudden you see these like weird movements like, well, why is, you know, why is um, consumer spending coming in cold why are we seeing the stock market rise? Oh, that's because everybody thinks now the Fed is going to turn around and extend QE or they're going to put more, they're going to add to QE and that's going to bump the stock market pr price higher. And so everybody's trying to front run what they think the trade's going to be. We're just living in this world where everything is unmoored from fundamentals to the point where everything is about the central banks. When in the past, say previous to 2008, we cared about what the Fed chairman said. And Alan Greenspan was the master of putting out thousands and thousands of words, which said nothing. It was almost like he was, oh, I don't know, James Joyce or something. It was pretty impressive, actually. You know, and then we just do what he was going to do and, you know, and bamboozle Congress. But once Bernanke 
decided to save the markets, decided to save not just the markets, but the banks and the central banks, setting up this coordinated central bank policy, which was always going to lead to the ruination of all of the of the individual central banks to roll all the wealth up to eventually to the IMF and the BIS and to destroy the commercial banking system by turning them all into zombies. And that's what it did. It turned all the, it turned all of Europe. Mario Draghi turned the entirety of the European banking system, the oldest banking system in the world into a bunch of zombie banks, which are now today, they're running out of, they don't even have, they've run out of the brains that they've eaten previously. And now they can't even walk and like try to get to more brains. Like they're just, they're done. And you've got, you know, the Fed on one side and the Russians on the other, just tearing Europe apart. Like they're not even there. It's kind of funny, actually. So that's what I think is happening. I accidentally posted a spoiler in our oh. company chat. <laughs> um, we are about four or five minutes away from having the actual announcement come out. The press release will follow 30 minutes after the announcement actually comes right. out. How much weight do you put on the market sentiment shifting from 50 to 75 basis points on the announcement of this inflation number from Friday versus anything else? A lot, actually. I think, you know, one of the things that I've been talking about for a while now, or at least, I, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I speak in a lot of different forums. I speak, on a, you know, I've gone on a lot of different podcasts, produce stupid amounts of um, of content for my patrons and whatnot. I can never remember where I say everything, right? I try to keep the message as simple as possible, or at least down to the four or five, ba uh, four or five major points. But one of the big ones is bull markets always climb a wall of worry, right? We heard this many, many times, right? Well, bull markets come in all shapes and sizes. They come in the form of confidence. They come in the form of, you know, confidence in an institution. Once confidence in an institution is lost, it's got to climb a wall of worry to get everybody's, to get its credibility back. Well, that's where the Fed is today. And nothing is official until it's been officially denied. And Powell has denied that the Fed has lost its credibility. So think about where we were a couple of months ago. Before the Fed even raised interest rates, everybody was talking about when the Fed was going to pivot, right? They weren't even had the Fed hadn't even raised rates yet. And everybody was talking about, you know, how how many were they going to be able to get away with before they would have to have to stop? Like, you're reading the room wrong, guys. The Fed's not raising rates to stop inflation. The Fed doesn't care about the stock market. And the Fed doesn't care about any of those things. The Fed is under existential threat from a bunch of European communists. So now when you think about what happened, once you understand that, then um, I can see the trajectory of what the Fed was going to do this year, which was that, yeah, I could see 25 basis points every meeting starting in March until we got to the end of the year. And then things got out of control faster. And then Europe started to implode quicker. And then the Russians put more pressure on Europe than anybody ever thought. And then inflation keeps coming in hotter as the Biden administration keeps doubling down on inflationary things that will cause even more cost push inflation. Like they're destroying the energy sector here in the United States and they're doing it on purpose. They're vandals. They're doing it on purpose. And that's just feeding the Fed, giving the Fed every reason to raise faster. And I've been saying like, okay, we're well, now we're looking at 50 basis points for at least four meetings, if not five. And then the CPI comes out and it's worse than everybody expected. And all of a sudden with each one of these moves, these, these events that occur, you pull another tranche of people out of the, oh, the Fed can't possibly raise three times. They can't possibly go to 1% or 1.5%. That would crash the markets. And then they go, holy Christ, 
The Fed just raised to one and a half. They went to 175 this week. Now what? I guess they're serious. And all of a sudden, we go from 1% of the population of the investing population thinks the Fed is serious about going to 2 or 3% to 5%, to 10%, to 15%, to 20%, and on and on and on. And when you, when you map markets and you map sentiment that way, then you can see how markets are going to move. So a whole lot of people got red-pilled on Friday. The Fed's serious. They're not screwing around here. The Fed's got plenty of room to raise rates. So I, I, to me, I think it's pretty obvious what's going on. All right. So that's what I, and I, you know, that was a big, I think it was a big tranche. It's probably, you know, 10% of the population, maybe 15. It's big. Mm. We are, you know, we are moments away from the official announcement coming out. Uh, I think there's something very, very interesting, Tom, that you're alluding to, and that is the majority of investors in the public markets right now do not believe the Fed is going to have the cojones to go up that high. And what happens when people who have a bullish outlook have to shift to bearish, mm. we're not done with this selling pressure. No. So I'm not asking for necessarily a bottom. Sure. Um, but I'm I'm curious of you know, we're hovering at 11,000 on the NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. We, we could very well see a break below the 10,000 psychological level. Easy. Is there, is there a support level that you're paying attention to right now in particular that you're like, this, this is dangerous if we okay. break below this level. I don't really look at the NASDAQ and I don't look at the S&P 500 because I'm fo always focused on global capital flow. Right. And the Dow is the measure of global capital flow into the United States, offshore capital flow into the United States. And for that reason, and I'm not, this is not a, a unique idea or anything. I learned this from Martin Armstrong, who taught it to me, and now I'm and now I'm using it as my 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 key indicator. And I'll always give Martin credit whenever I think, you know, somebody and I'll give everybody credit whenever I, I I'm gonna interrupt you right now. I'm so sorry, Tom. We What's officially that? got a 75 point basis, a 75 no, basis point hike. No surprise. The the LIBOR markets were telling us that last night, by the way. Good. Holy shit. I'm actually good. I'm actually happy that the Fed did this. Because again, not just because it makes me look good, right? I mean, I, I, I don't care about me. It's that this is what the Fed needs to do. Look, humanity's future rests in the balance of the Federal Reserve breaking the back of Europe. Okay? And doing away with these these, these German eugenicists and these horrible people over at the World Economic Forum and their attendants and their quizzling from destroying global capitalism. The vestiges, we don't even have vestiges of capitalism around the world today, right? The Chinese aren't doing more danger as the Communist Party of China isn't doing more damage to global capitalism than Europe is doing right now, okay? I'm dead serious when I say this. And I mean this sincerely as the most radical of anarcho-capitalist, libertarian, non-aggression principle wielding, bastards you'll ever meet in your entire life. I believe this to the core of my being. Those people are communists. They need to be beaten. And the best way to take to beat them is for the Fed to pull back on all of their liquidity and take away their ability to create offshore dollars and have control over the Fed's monetary policy. When the Fed turns around and says, we're raising 75 basis points, what do you think the ECB has got to do now? And the ECB can't do this. Okay. What are they going to do? 
They have to, they have the, they're not, Lagarde's not going to have to wait until September to raise a quarter point. Like she's going to have to have a meeting next week and raise half a point. It's going to be beautiful. And then the Bureau is going to collapse and sovereign European sovereign debt's going to collapse and all that money's going to flow into the United States. So to back to your question about where I, I watch, what I'm watching for is 29 grand on the Dow. Horizontal support on the Dow is right around 29,000. And, you know, we're sitting, we, what do we open today? 30,800, 1800 points. I mean, I'm not, I don't have anything open because I'm always bandwidth constrained. So I don't even have like, I don't even have a ticker open while I do one we, of these. I have no idea what's happening. 30,400 or 30,300 in that okay. range. Well, and so, we yeah, are, we're uh, down 500 points today. Okay. And, yeah. um, you know, and I've been busy all morning trying to get com- stuff out the door. So I haven't even, I haven't even gotten a market quote in like three hours. No, Tom, so I have up no, today. What's Markets that? are up. Markets, Markets are up. Are Volume up. is down. Volume. But is the market, the Dow is the smallest one, and it's as of right now up 0.96. I mean, look, already down to 0.62. I think the moment Powell gets on that stage, things are going to shift very quickly. Yeah, the market's but, up this morning. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I, I just, I've just been so busy this morning that I haven't no. even, since 9.30, I haven't even had a yeah. chance to look at the market. So, yeah, all right, so the Dow right now is up 60 points. I finally put up, opened up investing.com. I'm mostly interested in the euro. The euro is, is threatening a breakdown below one three three nine dollar three thirty nine. The uh, the the pound is 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 threatening a break of a dollar twenty. It's just all beautiful. But the big one is is the ten year. The ten years at three point four percent, and the German ten year is at oh where is it one point six four percent. So, but that market's closed. What I said to my patrons this morning is I do my market. I do a podcast for my patrons on Wednesdays and Sundays. I said this morning, I said the only thing that's going to save the ECB today is that the, the European bond markets are already closed when Powell comes out with 75 basis points. <laughs> so the next, so I'm like, I can't wait. I, I think I'm staying up till three o'clock this morning when I get home, just because I want to watch the German open so I can watch the German bond market explode. So I can oh my God. literal chat. I mean, this is financial schadenfreude, like you wouldn't believe. Nothing makes me cackle more than watching the Euro get crushed. I hate to say it, but there isn't a stand-up comedy today, comedian today, who's funnier than watching, in my mind, watching European debt markets right now. That's the funniest shit on the market right now. I'm sorry. The, the, wait, go wait, go watch the Ricky Gervais. Go watch the Ricky Gervais special on Netflix. Okay. Is it good? But it, it's wait, wait, can really you, can good. Can you elaborate though? What it, just just for uh, as uh, Key would say, the the smooth brains uh, like myself who don't track these things, uh, the resolution that you do. What about that? Can you just say again, why is that sort of this this novel uh, tragedy that's playing out, comedic uh, tragedy? It's just, I've been calling this for so long. I've been saying that Europe is just is just in trouble for so long. And people have been, have been, have been bamboozled by thinking it's China that's the issue or it's the Russians or it's the, or it's the U.S. domestic policy. I'm like, no, Europe is, is in trouble. And they're the most arrogant people who think that they're inevitable, that the EU's model for the world is inevitable. We're all going to just be European commies now, no matter what you do. And like, I'm watching them going, you guys are like the biggest putzes on the planet. I don't know what else to say. They're just funny at this point. Like, they go up there and they stand up there and they're all terribly arrogant and European. And blah, 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 blah. We have all the, we have all the tools that we need and we can do whatever we want. To, blah, 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 blah. And then Christine Lagarde gets up there and she starts reading the policy statement and she's like swallowing hard every third word because she's like because she's just like she swallowed a squirrel or what's left of her conscience because even she doesn't believe what she's spouting. Yeah, she she does, knows it's all nonsense. Yeah, she definitely doesn't have one. 
She's like, like the, they're like the multi-headed Hydra. You've got like, yeah. you know, Carson's and Lagarde and Yellen and they all just kind of ah, squeal around. That's my personal image. <laughs> Sorry. I'm more worried actually now about what how, how gold and silver react. Now, mostly gold and Bitcoin react here. I'll be honest with you. Yes, because if we don't see a major safe haven bid here, then we're in a dollar liquidity um, spiral. That's That could be very dangerous. Yeah, okay. it's interesting. When the announcement came out, Bitcoin, you know, is, it looks like it's now getting close to testing 20K, yeah. which is interesting. I think, the, I think the 18.5 to 20 area is where we could un uncover a lot of technical support in Bitcoin. That's where, the that's where the breakout level was that sent us from 20 grand up to 68, right? Now we've corrected back to 20. And, and, don't, and, and forget, don't forget one other thing here. The empire is striking back. Like, this is big. Like everybody in the central bank community and in Davos and BlackRock and all of these guys, they are all going for it. They have to break the backs of crypto investors. They have to destroy your um your confidence. They've got to destroy, they've got to, it's you know, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. I mean, we really are in that mode, and they have the power to do this, they have the ability to just crush between the Fed crushing dollar liquidity, obviously, and then everybody else piling on and, you know, unwinding complex DeFi trades and all this other stuff, which is easy to do because there's not that much liquidity ultimately yeah. in Bitcoin. Like you can move the markets like crazy and, well, it, and that's okay. Price doesn't matter here. What matters is when it, when it finishes, you buy more because high quality assets are still on sale. Like anybody who thinks that gold is worth eighteen, seventeen an ounce, which I'm looking at right now, is an idiot. Gold is worth eighteen thousand dollars an ounce, but it's being suppressed because there's a thousand amount, this thousand times more freaking gold, paper gold out there than there is physical gold available on the market. And when all the physical gold goes away, the paper markets are going to bid to zero, and everything's going to go. And then we're going to have dogs and cats. You know, then it's going to be horrible things. Then it's going to be, you know, then it's I mean, going to be iron brimstone and the rest of it. I mean, but, I would argue yeah. Bitcoin is the only asset worth. worth well, money, I think but... Bitcoin is a. I think Bitcoin is going to be mired in a bear market for a little while. I really do, and I think it's because, um, I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I can see Bitcoin rallying on European capital flight. Okay, I can see Bitcoin rallying on emerging market capital flight. But, it, it, but if everybody's still biblically short dollars, which is what we're seeing. That's such a great expression, biblically um, short dollars. Then, uh, you know, it could take a while, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, also we're, you know, we're, we're sort of in the uh, the bear part of the four-year cycle. Right. Uh, in terms of the habits. We're in the bear so market portion of the bear, yeah. So they, so they were able to crush the top end of the super cycle high for this four-year cycle. And now they've pushed us back down to where, you know, to the lows. And so, you know, if we wind up bouncing around between 15 and 20K for another year and a half, is that a bad thing? I mean, it's not if you're like not if you have a, not if you have a 10 or 15 year time horizon on Bitcoin. I would say even shorter. But I mean, uh, but I mean, yes, it is a fantastic buying opportunity. Generational. Yeah, of course it is. Just yeah. like eight grand was a just like five to eight grand was a generational buying opportunity back in late 2019. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the way I looked at it. And that's the way I told my, that's what I told my, my, my subscribers and, you know, and, um, I did my best to try and position them as well as possible on this. I'm just, I'm more interested in like, like watching this play out. Like at this point, dude, I'm, I'm more interested in watching what the Russian ruble is doing. And, you know, like all these other things, these are all far more interesting to me. Bitcoin is going to be fine. There's nothing wrong with the blockchain. 
you know, do you have your coins? Are they on an exchange? Get them off an exchange. We were just Stop. talking about that. Yeah. You're not, not your keys, not your coins. Well, that is, that's just standard operating procedure, right? And it doesn't matter what, what coin you like. I'm, you know, me, I've talked about it before. I'm not a Bitcoin maxi in the long run. In the no. short run, sure. But in the, I don't want to get into the philosophy. Come back to us, Doug. Cut his mic. Cut his mic. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm dead serious when I say this. I mean, in the short term, I, when I talk short term in Bitcoin, I'm talking five years. Bitcoin is going to win. You know, Bitcoin is the is the best place to be. And, I, and of course, the entire market is based on a derivative of Bitcoin liquidity. So at the end of the day, you know, the maxi argument from that perspective, I completely agree with. But, you know... Dude, I'm talking about when Bitcoin is, you know, when I'm when I'm not when when no one wants to listen to me talk anymore, you know, and I'm Henry Kissinger sitting in a freaking chair, you know, drooling on myself. And crypto is the world, and crypto is taking over the world. Are we still going to be talking about? Are we still going to be talking about Bitcoin being the only coin in existence? Yes. (laughs) Have fun with your religious fundamentalism. I'm not. I know. I know. I know. So. So uh, there you go. But I don't uh, think look, the, other thing, the important thing is I, we, neither of us need to be right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that's and what's important. Absolutely. And, and I also I think we don't need to go into it in too much detail. But, you know, to me, Bitcoin is completely separate from all the other stuff. They're designed to do very different things. You have Bitcoin, which is designed to be sound money, decentralized, censorship resistant, right. all these things. And then you have, you know, these other these other aspects of the space, which, in my opinion, are designed to be. Uh, ways for uh, they're designed to be more like equities, you know, in terms of the way that they interact and people can fund them and create, play all these games and stuff like that. Right. And remember, Phil, don't, don't, don't look, look, don't, don't forget this. When I'm talking about not being a Bitcoin maxi, I'm still a proof of work maxi. Like, interesting. Okay. I'm an absolute proof of work maxi. I'm no freaking Ethereum dude. Like, Ethereum. Like seriously, like yeah. I'm not into any of that. I'm, I'm a proof of work maxi, like meaning I think there may be better. We may be wind up with better technology that looks like Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is incapable. It, we don't know what Bitcoin is going to be capable of when it's running the system. We see it now as the ultimate tool to break the debt fiat slavery system. Right. And it's performing that tool in that um, milieu, in that regime. It's doing a pretty damn good job of it. Okay. And it's doing it brilliantly. Okay. But it's never operated on its own versus other things based on the same technology and based on the same ethos. And I think that that's why that is the only reason I'm not a, a Bitcoin maxi. Okay. I mean, it's interesting. Simply think- because I know understand that the law of diminishing marginal utility applies to everything, even Bitcoin. It's just that simple. You, I mean, you I think know, the counter argument. I, be- I just don't believe that there's any reason. I don't think there's any reason why Bitcoin should adopt every aspect of a software project necessary to run a global financial system. I think it's dumb. I think it's bad for Bitcoin in the long run. Yeah. I just yeah. do. I mean, like, I think I don't, the I don't want. I don't want my word processor to be a database. Okay. I don't want my spreadsheet to be a word processor. Like, yeah, I, no, no, I hear you. I mean, that's, I, that's my point. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, just to push back a little bit, the, you know, Bitcoin adapts and changes as appropriate. And as the consensus kind of drives change, you know, we have, we just had Taproot and Schnorr, which is an improvement. And eventually the, the protocol will ossify. When that happens, we don't know. But, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like 
Bitcoin is designed to be sound money, and there are things that you can build on top of it that rely on the the strength and security of the network. You know, we have the Lightning Network, which you know for a long time the argument against Bitcoin was, uh, you know, you can't buy a coffee; you're gonna have to wait ten minutes for, uh, you know, for the the transaction to clear and the you know block to oh, be mined. And now we have and now we have Lightning. And I, look, I, I, again, I'm I'm a fan of all of this stuff. I love the technology. I love everybody trying to prove me wrong about being a Bitcoin maxi. I'm a big fan. Like, I think it's great. I love human ingenuity. I love to see people working every aspect of the market. And I also love to see the other proof of work coins out there, you know, forcing Bitcoin to get better. Okay. Because without Monero, for example, you, I, it's not, you know, I, like without competition, everything gets stayed. Right. But, right, but That's all. there's I mean, an and, ultimate so, issue, Tom, that I'm, I'm a little... To be honest, I'm a, I'm a lot confused that you have this belief because ultimately what you reintroduce in every other proof of work system, with the exception of Bitcoin, is a centralized point of failure. You have individuals or businesses that are pulling the levers that can introduce a point for a foreign country or a government or just anything to attack from that point and to hold them hostage and say, issue more tokens, do this to the network, do that. We don't have that in Bitcoin. And for that reason, it is the purest free market available to humanity right now. Mm. And so that reintroduction of a centralized person is the biggest flaw with every other proof of work system that you're describing. Okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, because you're just introducing Jerome Powell in the Fed, in essence. Like that's putting our faith. You know, I, I don't know the entire, I don't know the entire state of the market to know whether or not that is actually the case or whether or not that is a talking point. And I'm not going to, I, I, again, I don't Fair. want to get into that. Fair. I don't want to get into that, that, that statement because I, I want to take it back. I want to take it back to a comment you said though, about, you know, what you may be seeing, what we may be seeing out of Europe as early sure. as sure. German markets opening and just the collapse of the entire European central bank and that money then inflowing into the U S hmm. but why would it? We saw the U.S. That? We saw the U.S. institute sanctions on Russia for the U.S. dollars that they hold. Why would any country in Europe just immediately opt to the dollar? Do we not think that that money might be diversified? Maybe, maybe well, some was- aggressive allies might come here, but maybe others might say, "Piss right off! I'm gonna go to Russia. I'm gonna go to China. I'm gonna go to gold." I, I, I'm not. Yes, you're right. But a lot of these guys don't have that option. Okay. We're talking about family offices. We're talking about bond funds with prospectuses. We're talking about there. So much of the managed money in the world today has a lot of rules associated with it. There's only certain, you know, there's only certain things they can buy. And until that money is, you know, pension funds, this, that, everything else. So the reality is that as bad as the political system, and look, and don't get me wrong, the this political system here in the U.S. as of right now is a mess. And if you don't think that that was part of the design of the project in order to freeze capital in emerging markets in Europe and keep it from flowing into the U.S., because it would have already flowed in here three years ago had Biden not been elected president or two years ago had Biden not been, I'm sorry, I used the word elected. Let me please forgive me, selected as fucking president. If um, if that had not happened, if Trump had had been inaugurated, this would have already happened. And it would have already happened because we would have had political stability 
in a way that we haven't had it before. We now have a Federal Reserve, a central bank, who is climbing the wall of worry to get its credibility back. Whereas everybody else is torching their credibility. The Bank of Japan is torching its credibility. The Swiss National Bank has turned into the biggest equity hedge fund in the world. The BCB is laughable. It's badly designed. It is in it can go bankrupt and it has no actual control over everything until the ECB is completely reformed, which will take 10 years. Okay. The Bank of England, they don't have any gold, they don't have any reserves, they don't have any assets. The Bank of Japan, the Bank of Canada, please give me a break. Who's again and who's left? The PBOC in Japan in China? Absolutely. I'm not gonna argue, but PBOC, you still have a closed capital account. You don't have the ability to get your money in and out of China freely. So this is why the midterms are so important. A change in the political trajectory of the United States with its fundamentally decentralized government, even though it's fundamentally flawed, even though it's fundamentally terrible, you know, even though it's, there's so many problems with it. It's still the best dirty shirt, you know, the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry. And because of the decentralized nature of the American political system has the ability to effectively dry clean itself slowly over time, depending on what the cultural situation in the United States is, which is why Biden's letting in millions of, of people into the country to destroy cities and destroy the suburbs and destroy, you know, communities. It's why they're destroying the energy markets. It's why they wanted to destroy uh, the tax base, the the, the, the taxing system, or you ta remember, the United States is the best tax haven in the world. We're all Americans. We're looking for tax havens against the American government. But for everybody else, they're all looking at the United States going, this is one of the best tax havens in the world. Okay. So why do you think things like windfall profit tax on oil companies and wealth taxes on, you know, on unrealized capital gains, those were all designed by people like Klaus Schwab and put into the mouths of the Lizzie Slapaho Warren to destroy the U.S. and by codifying it in a law and destroying our ability to handle capital. And why? To make Europe look better. Because in the grand game of global capital, you don't have to be the best. You don't have to be good. You just have to be better than everybody else. And only slightly better. Because everybody's trying to get that a little bit of alpha, that little bit extra yield. You can offer them 0.1% more yield on your money with a little bit more secure, with 5% more security than the other guy. Boom, all the capital goes there. It rushes there, especially under circumstances like this where we're on the verge of a potential World War III. So why do you think Davos is trying to get Biden to start a freaking wider war with the Russians and Ukraine? Like all of these things funnel into each other. They're all part of the same strategy which is destroy the credibility of the United States. Why do you think George Soros is spending so much money undermining the validity of our elections, funding tranny story hour day and undermining the board at Disney and all these other things that are happening, all of this stuff, the culture war, all of it, it's all tied to the same thing. European commies want their colonies back. And in the process, they're going to Bitcoin because Lagarde has already told us if there's an exit, hatch, escape hatch, people will use it. So we need to coordinate how to get rid of all the escape hatches. And they're all attacking them. And they're attacking every aspect of the crypto market right now. So, I mean, like, it's not hard. Think about where their power is. 
think about what their goals are, see how they implement it in the world and see who works. And then you'll know who works for them and who doesn't. I don't, I mean, I don't know why, I don't know why I'm the only guy like looking at it this way. It just seems so obvious, but I don't know. It's just, I don't, I don't mean to be like, like I just, I don't see why I'm the only one getting it. No, but maybe, I'm, maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. That is that is the truest sign of insanity. We see we see the signs they call us crazy until they call us right. Right. I've been, I've been, um, Tom. Yeah. Sorry, I just, I'm going to throw some things out that you know we're gathering this information in real time. The FOMC press conference starts in about six minutes, but okay. right now on Bloomberg, you actually we just heard that um, Scott Minard mm -hmm. is talking about Bitcoin right now on Bloomberg as a result of this. F FOMC announcement. So we're going to be updating people with those comments shortly. There's also mm -hmm. a couple other tidbits from the press release that are very, very important. The first being that the Fed is actually not expecting to lower rates until 2024. Um, yeah, the euro markets have that off. They're they're wrong with that. The euro dollar futures curve has it has the Fed um, uh, uh, reversing course in March. Okay. Go look at the euro dollar futures curve as of this morning before uh, the announcement. It had the the um, uh, the inversion of the euro dollar futures curve had pushed as, as early as March. There's a repricing that has to happen now. They're not if, if the Fed's not going to raise in going to raise interest rates before early 2024. That means actually, and honestly, in, in, in reality, it's 2025. They're just really they're just prepping the markets. Slowly but surely, they got to get everybody used to this stuff. That's so serious. let me ask you this: we have we have midterms this year, but twenty twenty four, as our producer Chris pointed out, like that's a presidential election year. Yes, it and is. We don't. So, do you think Biden may or may not try to, or whoever's president in twenty twenty four? I personally, I genuinely believe Kamala Harris will be president in twenty twenty four. I do not, uh, not by not by the election, but because Joe Biden just says. Adios. It will not. It uh, will not be Kamala. It will not be Kamala Harris. And if any, if it's anyone, it'll be Janet Yellen. Book kill it. me, kill me if Janet Yellen is the president of the United States. Book, book it. It'll be Janet Yellen. <laughs> oh, I mean, okay. Who else? Well, we're going to. It's not going to be Harris because she's, she's a moron. But she's the vice president. I'm. Well, I'm saying, get her to, I'm not, they just get her to resign first, and then they'll, and then they'll not, and then, then Biden will nominate Yellen. No, then they no twenty fifth amendment. If the vice president resigns, the president can nom can can nominate a new vice president. Go read. Oh, the, the so you're saying that Kamala it's no different than Nelson first. Rockefeller and Spiro Agnew, nineteen seventy two. Okay, I wrote I, about I this a year and a half ago, guys. I I, I I handicapped this thing out a year and a half ago. That when they're okay. finally ready to get rid of Biden, they're gonna they're gonna pull Ameri they're gonna pull in Italy and put a central banker in charge of the country. Well. We are going to be so royally fucked when that happens. But until then, so now if the GOP takes over the, the both the Congress and the Senate, they're all going to get impeached. They're all going to go to jail because the political mood in this country will be so ugly. If look, it all depends on how big a majority the GOP wins in the fall. Okay, if it's a hundred seats, if it's Boris Johnson level historic, which he has squandered because he's a moron, because he's a bozo, because Bojo's a bozo. If it's 100 seats, which it should be, given the situation. That also means five seats in the Senate. You're talking about 11 Democrats 
voting to impeach the worst president ever for being a traitor to the country. Because at that point, the political situation in D.C. will be so poisonous that in order for any of them to keep their jobs, because they're going to be looking at the 2024 election, they're going to have to, those House members are going to have to figure out what to do then. The Senate is going to be looking at, a third of the Senate is going to turn over in two years. And the Republicans could easily then take another five seats from the, the Democrats, if not more. Like, I'm dead serious when I say, if a GOP presidential candidate emerges with a Reagan-esque style, we can rebuild America, but first we're going to have to go through a lot of short-term pain, near-term pain, and we've got a Federal Reserve chair that has already set the stage for it. We can actually impeach most of these people. But I don't know. I mean, it's a fantasy, but I don't give it. A, I don't give it as yeah, I mean, zero probability. To be honest, I, give, I, still I give it. I give it about Donald Trump being. In, if it's to a, be honest, Tom, I still fantasize about Donald Trump being in bar. So I'm gonna end the conversation of who whose fantasy wins here. Um, I, I'm just saying, look, 25 percent probability with a hundred seat majority in the House, the Biden gets impeached and thrown in jail as a scapegoat for what they did to the country, and then the GOP starts to reverse half of what they've done to cock up the energy markets and gasoline and healthcare and everything else. And most of the stuff just gets, you know, and with the lack of spending that got pushed through under Biden, under two years of Biden, the, the, the fiscal side is already set. All they have to do is put a hold on spending and pledge entitlement reform. And the market will absolutely reward us for that. Especially if Europe is in a sovereign debt. You think crisis. the market will reward us for not spending money yes. right now? Why? They, absolutely, because we are running a massive budget deficit and interest rates are rising. And every point that interest rates rise is another $300 billion in debt servicing that we have to pay out to the existing pile of debt that's out there. So we have to cut the budget deficit, we have to cut spending. We have to cut spending by a hunt by one to two trillion dollars at the at the, the the federal level to handle the to get through the situation that the Fed is now putting us in. This is what I've been saying. This is the Congress tried to blackmail the Fed with seven trillion dollars worth of new QE. And now the Fed is blackmailing Congress saying, you got a spending problem. Right, but the Fed also spent something six trillion dollars in that time as well. So I think that's a little bit misinterpreted here. The Fed also was buying up bonds. The Fed was spending money just at the same time Congress was. They were no, just no, not remember, as Congress about spends it. the money, and the Fed right, has so, to figure out how to deal with how to keep the exchange rate from getting destroyed. The Fed is not always the enemy here. I hate to say this. I hate to break this to everybody, but Congress is just as just as culpable here. They usually work hand in hand to screw all of us over. But we're now in a weird situation where the Fed and Congress, for the first time in ages, are against each other. Fiscal policy is just as important as monetary policy. Because look, Powell can create all the dollars he wants, but six trillion of them have been sterilized. They're not flowing. And if they're not flowing, they don't matter. Were you asking why Bitcoin's 20 grand? It's because that $6 trillion is not flowing. That's why Bitcoin's not 120 grand. Yes, in the long run, the comment says they're all the enemy. Of course, they're all the enemy, but not at all period, at all moments in time. 
I know I'm speaking to a Bitcoin crowd here, but you guys have got to get through your head that order of operations matters. These companies, markets are far more complex. The, the relationships are far more complex and more nuanced than all that. If you want to put your head in the sand, just go, yeah, when I'm older, Bitcoin will win. Great. Then you don't need to ever watch any of this stuff because you're on a path. You're on the same path Peter Schiff is on, saying gold will eventually win. And you'll be right 20 years from now, 15 years from now. And if it doesn't matter to you, great. Go, you know, go do what you like to do and just don't worry about this stuff. But if you want to know what's happening in real time and to make the best decisions in real time, well, then you gotta, gotta dig into the, to the details of these people. So, okay. I mean, that's, and yeah, you've got to be Machiavellian as the, as the commenter Christopher just said. It's very, very important, guys. That we, that we do that. That's what I try to do because I used to be like that. I used to be that guy. Oh yeah, what's this by gold? Don't worry about it. 20 years from now, you'll be right. But I can't do that and like be a credible analyst. I can't, like the, 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 the game is far more interesting than that. There's so much more detail. There's so much more, inter there's so much more nuance and we can get, we can learn so much more about how this actually works and how we're going to beat them because we are going to beat them. There's just a question of how we do it. Like, so Powell just started speaking and gold just dropped five dollars. I, I I love it. Like it's always it's <laughs> Bitcoin has also dropped about two and a half percent. Tom, yeah. I'm still not over this because what like I agree with you that yes, Congress spent way too much money. I agree with that point. And the Fed had however, the what, however mm -hmm. the Fed was also P I do hear an echo. The Fed was also spending money separate to what Congress was spending. And by our calculations, the Fed printed and spent $9 trillion. Mm -hmm. So I'm confused as to why you're not pissed off at Jerome Powell and the Fed for doing that, pumping up the market to levels that it should never have gotten to, making people think that we are in this golden age of the US economy when it was just, we were printing money at an insane rate. And then we are witnessing, let's roll it back a little, and what's happened? We've seen the NASDAQ crash 25%. We've seen the Dow crash almost 20%. We're seeing the S&P in a, a full bear sure. market. So but, I'm confused uh, as to why that $9 trillion is not an issue to you. It was, but God, dude, was it $9 trillion over, over what Congress Since 2020, spent? since 2020, the, the Fed, Fed alone. The, the, Fed, the Fed raised its balance sheet by $9 trillion. Congress spent at least that much money. Did you see the budget deficit for right, 2020? Right, but then why are both parties, why in your opinion are both parties not equally culpable here? Why are you saying that the Fed okay, is fine so to do the, that? The, remember, when the when when Congress approves all of that spending, the Fed is part, uh, the Fed has to react to that. Look, look, COVID, is, in my estimation at this point, was a project to keep the Fed from tightening markets even further. I I'm, I'm literally believe at this point that Powell was ready to gut all of this wealth effect stuff back in 2019. Okay, he came in and raised interest rates aggressively. He came in and allowed the American banks to stop repoing, repo collateral, you know, accepting his repo collateral, anything from a European bank, which caused the SOFR blowout in, and the repo crisis of September 2019, which meant that we were going to have a financial crisis in March of 2020. But that was a design because the sovereign debt crisis in Europe should have started in 2020 and the world and the world politicians got together and forced 
everybody onto this, it forced everybody into their homes and broke all the markets. Like when Russia said no to a production increase, right, which is what was the proximate cause that caused the corona apocalypse. On Friday, Russia says no to OPEC. We're not raising production. On Monday, oil dropped 50%. Do you think that was a normal thing? Or do you Absolutely think that, that was or do you think that that was a coordinated action of a whole bunch of really evil people? I feel like I, I, I've never seen oil drop 50 percent in the freaking day. Oh, I'll, I'll even I'll I fully agree with you on this point and I'll take it a step further. I don't blame anyone on the U.S. soil for oil prices right now. I blame the mafia that is OPEC for us laughing two years ago when it when oil got to negative and they may not necessarily buy into the idea that, oh, the world is going to be green, but they are viewing this moment as their last opportunity to cash in. So they that's are going that's, to that's squeeze. One that's, that's one way of looking at it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny that. I just think that they're, they're, they're doing everything. They're going to do what's in their best interest. Everybody acts in, in their own of best interest. Of course. And so that, so I look OPEC is, is irrelevant. At this point, there is no, there is not a real need. I mean, OPEC, for the most part, is irrelevant. They don't need to raise production. The problem with oil, with gas prices and oil, is not. This is a this is a structural problem created by, by COVID. Okay, we lost over two million barrels a day of refining capacity worldwide during COVID. We lost two percent of worldwide refining capacity over the last two years. And the Biden administration is trying to take another 2 billion barrels of oil a day off the worldwide refining, okay? And here in the United States. So we've got all the small tin pot uh, uh, refiners here in the US, 36 of them asked for a hardship variance against having to buy RINs offset credits to blend to, to not blend ethanol into their, into their fuel. The Biden administration told them all to go scratch, okay? So- you're paying six dollars of gasoline because RINs are three dollars and thirty cents a gallon, not eighty cents. Okay, because the refiners can refine this oil at three dollars a gallon or three eighty a gallon, and the Russians and every, and if we didn't cock up the entire supply chain for moving oil around the world with all these sanctions, and we still had two million barrels a day going from St. Petersburg to Rotterdam and back again, and now all those same ships have to go over to the Bahamas or to India or to Greece or somewhere else, be reblended and then sent back to Rotterdam, like all those extra voyage days adds to the cost of oil, adds to the cost of oil. The, 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 the Europeans are in implementing a, a, an oil embargo because they believe they have monopsony pricing power. No, everybody talks about monopoly pricing power. Everybody wants to get angry with the producer for trying to raise prices too freaking high. When it's the truth, when the truth of the matter is, is that the European Union has been acting like, well, we're the only marginal buyer of Russian oil, so we can dictate price to the Russians. And the Russians are like, no, I'll sell it all to the Chinese and the Indians. So you're not only buyer. And this is the problem. The Europeans have tried to, been, tried to push monopsony pricing power onto the Russians. It's failed dramatically. And everybody's paying for it now. And these people are too fucking arrogant to stop. They're just going to keep going. Because their goal is a global depression. That's their goal. Now, Powell is going to help that by... But, but he's doing it in his own best interest to try and save the Fed and trying to save the commercial banks here in the United States. But the Biden administration is absolutely attempting to destroy our ability to handle capital. Without a doubt. It's, 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 it's been a planned destruction the entire time. 
And I, you know, it, it just, this is what's going on. So if the fed pumped money into the banks and printed all this money, that money's all been sterilized. Excess reserves have gone from 1.7 trillion to 3.9. The reverse repo facility went from 450 billion to 2.1 trillion. That money's not flowing. So it doesn't matter. That's not what's causing the inflation. Now the fed has a problem when that $6 trillion has to flow. And we'll see what, and they're trying to sell treasuries into this. They're going to try and shrink their balance sheet into this market when there's no dollars out there for people to buy. But there's also going to be a liquidity. There's also going to be a collateral shortage because people aren't, there's also going to be a collateral shortage as well as savings rates around the world start to rise. Here in the United States, there's going to be no savings. The reason that the savings rate is not going to be, is going to be low is because nobody's going to need uh, disposable monthly income. But the minute all of this, the Biden administration gets out of the way of allowing um, energy prices to drop, which could happen in no time flat. All they got to do is lift the sanctions, do away with all the all, all the stupid green shit, and uh, and and stop trying to save the world for climate change. That's all they got to do. Tomorrow, gasoline would be back to two to, to two ninety three thirty a gallon, depending on where you are in the country. Diesel fuel would be reasonable. Every and people's um, disposable income would rise, and you could sell. Their, you could sell their, their their treasuries into that market, but the, the Fed's going to sell is going to shrink its balance sheet because it has to, and they're they're going to do this and they're going to do it quickly. And I think that they're they're going to do it because they don't have any other option. They have to get in front of this situation. Okay, they have to prove they have to prove that they're on uh, on on point here, and that. In some at, at some point, they're going to force fiscal discipline onto the world. They the Fed doesn't want to be the, the the keeper of the world's reserve currency anymore. He's basically said this. He doesn't want it. He wants Trippin's paradox to end, and he wants the United States to balance the budget. So, Tom, I want to uh, read some of the minutes that our Bitcoin Magazine team is taking from the uh, the press conferences that's happening. Some of the things that has been said so far, because it's happening right now as we're live, I'd love to get right. your reaction. So, um, <laughs> uh, Powell's saying, we're strongly committed to returning inflation to our 2% objective. They want to significantly reduce the size of the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. They're saying that uh, <laughs> inflation has again, once again, surprised us to the upside. Of course, they have um, to say that. I know, right? They're saying that um, they are expecting either a 50 basis point or 75 basis point uh hike mm-hmm. a further hike right. uh, for the next meeting okay and uh they're saying that hikes will continue depending on incoming data right. and that uh <laughs> they're saying that, that's sta- uh, that's standard fed speak i know right right they're saying that hikes will continue to depend uh oh wait no no wait hold on uh they said over the coming months we will be looking for evidence that inflation has been turning down. Sure. Which I think is a very funny statement to make because of course you find the evidence you're looking for. Right. Well, I think that the big thing here is that everybody is looking for um are looking for demand they're hoping that they can get some kind of demand destruction. The problem is that they're gonna get they can't get demand destruction in the things that, that matter to most people, right? You can't you can't do anything about the economy. you can't do anything about the, the core pricing. OK, um, core inflation is the thing they never want to look at. Right. So they always want to look at the headline number where they, you know, nor, where they heuristically adjust in the, you know, the yacht sales and everything else. And then go, oh, look, inflation is not too bad because, you know, yacht sales are down 30 percent and whatever. It's just dumb. Um, FYI, now gold is at 1840 and rising. The more that 
the Powell talks. Now gold is finally starting to rise. So we're starting to see that and Bitcoin has stabilized as Powell talks. So very interesting to watch in real time the reaction to the market. They are crashing the economy on purpose. Okay. Um, and, um, but it's because it has to be done. We have a malinvested economy. We have trillions of dollars in unsustainable capital that, that need to be liquidated and moved around into sustainable projects. And that's the problem. We have, um, we have markets that are so cocked up, okay, that are such a freaking mess that there's only one way around this. And that is for someone, and in this case, it's the most powerful Ponzi scheme in the world, to collapse the offshore dollar markets. And I've been saying this for a couple of weeks now. The Fed's not raising raising rates to stop inflation. The Fed is raising rates to collapse the offshore dollar markets and get control over its monetary policy. Once you understand, once you see it from that perspective, you, you know what to do. Buy gold, buy Bitcoin, buy safe haven assets. Um, buy undervalued real estate if there's any left. And then watch the uh, the situation with the Europe, with the Europeans. I would... There comes a point where you have to realize that the boom is the problem. Keynesians don't see it that way. They're wrong. We Austrians see it that, that we see the boom as the problem and the bust as the cure to the disease. Okay. The disease is, you know, too much money. So money has to be destroyed. And would, we're, that's where we're headed. I would jump in. I just sure. feel obligated to say, I would say that the solution is buy Bitcoin also buy Bitcoin and then buy more Bitcoin. Um, we are, in fact, pumping right now, interestingly. We briefly went down after the announcement was first made, but we oh, are yeah, there it is. screaming up. We're up almost 8%, uh, which is... Yeah, no, I'm seeing it now. I, it's, uh, the, the, I got the, my quote screen from investing.com up, my watch list, which is quite extensive. Um, and it just finally flash green it was that it bitcoin 30 seconds ago was still flashing down 1800 for the day and now it's up 12 dollars. so yeah the safe haven as we said while we were doing this live we said how is the safe haven trade going to look in this environment the first phase of this was a massive dollar bull wave where everybody wasn't sure what to do they didn't really believe that the fed was going to raise rates yada 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 everybody got the cash and said okay well let's wait let's get the cash and let's see what we're going to do and that's the first wave of this. And I told my people this and I told and I wrote articles about it and I gave a dozen interviews on it. And I said the same thing. I said, don't worry about the first phase of this. This is all just the first everybody getting used to the idea that we're in a U.S. Treasury bear market. Which we haven't seen the entire almost the entire since I was a boy. Like we haven't seen a U.S. Treasury bear market since I first saw the Empire Strikes Back. Okay. And then, because, you know, I, I date my entire life based on when Star Wars projects come out. And then we have that. We have a treasury bear market that no one knows how to trade. And everybody getting the cash. And the Europe and Europe in a doom loop over having to buy oil and gas and commodities from the Russians and have to pay for it in, in appreciating rubles versus depreciating euro, which the Russians have no use for anymore. Go back to one of the points made earlier. Why would anybody buy dollars or buy U.S. assets if the U.S. is just going to treat them so shabbily? Again, the use of sanctions was designed in order to scapegoat, in order to turn the U.S. into the evil empire 
to everybody around the world. If we change that policy, if the, the sanctions begin to lift, if the United States, hell, if we got a GOP Congress that just says, you know what, we're repealing CATSA, forget it, everything changes. Like the whole structure, the whole, the whole world gets a completely different message. Do I think that's going to happen? No. Do I think it's going to, do I think we're um, in the next two years? No, I don't think it's going to happen. But do I think it could happen during the, say, the first couple of years of a DeSantis presidency here in the U.S.? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, like it's it's a it's a weird thing that we're li we're looking at at this point. But you got to realize that the first phase of this was a dollar bull wave. The next phase of this is, oh shit, I need to be in safe havens, and we're going to see that. And I've been waiting to see if this was going to be the Fed meeting where we finally started to get some kind of bid on safe havens. Now. I'm going to say the. I'm going to say this, and this is the big thing. I like to see a $25 bounce in gold, but until gold reta re retakes the 1900 handle, this is just a dead cat bounce. Same thing with so Bitcoin. That, Bitcoin. That Bitcoin's going to be my next question. Before I even, I'm even, I'm even interested in it again. So. so that's my next question. Here is like we're talking about gold going up. We're talking about Bitcoin now going up. I mean all three major indices have been going up all day for the most part. This reads mm -hmm. to me when I just look at that, given the light volume, a dead cat bounce. Mm -hmm. So while I give merit that, yes, Bitcoin is pumping right now, I also don't believe the NASDAQ is going up and nor do I believe the correlation between the two has disintegrated. Nope. So by that also, logic- I'm not, I'm, just not a big, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of correlation trades, by the way. I think I'm a you know enough of a statistician to know that correlation doesn't necessarily imply causality. So like this Nasdaq Bitcoin trade, um, maybe there's just some you know there's a bunch of guys on Wall Street just playing playing that game and using and knowing full well that the Nasdaq was massively over overvalued and they can play you know they were playing some kind of they're playing some kind of weird spread trade and just and knowing full well that they were going to bail on their on their NASDAQ trades. And at the same time, I'm going to bail on their Bitcoin trades. Like I, I, I never understood why that, why those two, why that correlation trade existed. So I never gave it much thought. Other if people have good, good reasons for why they think that thing, that that trade is, a, is, is reality. I'm all for, I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm open ears, right? I'll give you my playbook. I haven't treated it like a direct correlation. I've treated it like a tape delay of three days. So mm -hmm. I've traded puts and calls off QQQ based on that. And it's been a very lucrative opportunity mm -hmm. because every private fund has just calculated their own beta on Bitcoin and treat it as a version of some sort of an asset class. A Maybe they're treating this as their crypto allocation versus getting involved in to other sketchier cryptos. Regardless, that movement to me sends the sign that this is being moved by private money, not by retail not by whales like we want to think yeah, yeah that. No, it's being pretty, it's being, yeah that makes sense okay cool um Great. there's there's another thing we we talked about this is, we're coming up on the end I, of our I, time, I, before we get before we go any further um the one mm -hmm. thing i am interested in here is i'm watching the euro bounce not the a euro's lot. bouncing yeah the euro bounced to the dollar four five what's here. the dixie doing right now the what dxy dollar oh index. the dxy is a uh, 105 so it's down a little bit meaning interesting well, that's because the euro's up nearly a penny, and the yen is off, and uh, the you know, and no, across across the board, the the yeah, no, that's fine. So you it would looks think that like a rising rate would would increase the value of the dollar, no? Or am I misinterpreting well, what that should depend, be? Well, no, the, the the market must have obviously thought that the, there was an outside chance of the Fed going 100 basis points to them. That's all that means. Okay, and you also have to remember that 
the market was overdone this morning. You know, like one of the things, that, one of the problems in doing this stuff in real time is that we all want to, you know, lay blame or make sense of what's going on, right? And it's part of the problem with trying to do financial news. It's, it's not really particularly instructive ultimately. I mean, unless you're like running a trade, like if you're, if you're, if you're trading, you're doing like the trade you just out outlined, that's fine. I, I don't do that, right? I don't even trade. Like I don't trade at all because I'm terrible at it. I tend to look at things within the, the larger macro trends, right? Meaning I only look at really weekly and monthly and quarterly charts anyway. I never really even look at daily charts. Like every, like my, my, if I put up a daily chart, my subscribers are like, Oh wow, this must be, this must mean something. Uh, Cause it's, it, it happens like once a year. Cause I know I just don't care because I only really care about weekly closes and I only really care about monthly and quarterly closes because that's what's going to tell you the big macro. That's what's going to tell you what's actually going on in the markets um, in a long-term horizon. And, you know, I'm servicing people basically with a monthly newsletter. So my time, so the weekly charts are my tactical charts and my strategic charts and my monthly and quarterly charts. I mean, it's just the only, I'm telling people to move money around every quarter or every year or whatever it is. So it's like, it's not a big deal. That being said, I invariably don't care about day-to-day -day movements and hour-to-hour -hour movements or anything because I don't put any stock in them whatsoever unless there's some kind of technically significant bounce. Like if I we were sitting here talking and gold was trading right now at $1,900 after this, I would be like, wow, because that would be technically significant through the daily chart, the weekly chart, the monthly chart, and the quarterly chart. It would change the direction through time of the entire gold market. This... This is just noise. All of it today is just noise because the market already did all the honest to God thinking about this beforehand. And afterwards, the aftershocks are going to tell you the reality of whether or not this is going to be um, what, what the direction is going to be. Are we going to get a continuation of the current direction of most of these markets or are some of these markets going to reverse? And that's all we really care about. And I'll be interested to see if the Dow Jones can pull off a massive rally for the rest of the week. Like the Dow Jones needs to get back to like almost 32 to even be interesting, given what it did last week and given what it's done so far this week. Like the, the Dow being up 320 points right now is irrelevant to me. It's, 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 it's useless because it means nothing. Go look at last week's, go look at last week's month, uh, go look at last week's bar for Christ's sake. It's terrible, right? We're just still trade. I think we're still even trading within last week's bar. I don't even think we've, we've hit an outside bar on the value. Only, I'll, I'll pull it up real quick just to make sure I'm not talking on my ass. No, we're out. Yeah, no, we're, we are, we're out to the downside. Yeah, we are. We're, that's right. It opened low. That's right. The Dow opened low this week. And so now the Dow is in a situation where the Dow needs to get back to 32 just to like stabilize. But I think we're, you know, looking at the situation. Yeah, this isn't even a bounce. It's not even interesting. We're Volume people. We're going to 29 in the Dow before anything else happens. I, I look, I, I have the Dow chart pulled up, especially once you said it, and I'm looking at that 29 because we have that gap up back in 2020. Once we break below 29, we are fucked. Yeah, I mean, 29.5 is the is the is the breakout level, right? That was the. I yeah. mean, it's, it's the current, it's the the January top, and then the first attempt to get through the January top uh, after the Corona apocalypse and in, in August, and 
then we'll uh and whenever you guys want to, to end this we'll be we're good to go and then i'm sorry Tom. we do we do have to end uh just yeah, no because we are hopping over to twitter but i want to give you the opportunity really quickly to tell everyone where to find you where to stay up to date on your newsletter we're gonna have to pick this conversation back up soon maybe we'll Absolutely. get ansel in here as well too so bring you back to fed watch okay. but so please chill away Oh, sure. I mean, uh, I don't have a lot to show, but I'll show anyway. Uh, TFL1728 on Twitter. I'm that's If you think I'm prickly here, just go follow me on Twitter. It's even worse. Um, the blog is tomluongo.me, Gold Goats and Guns. From there, you can sign up for the Patreon or listen to the podcast or whatever. All of it's all branded the same way, Gold Goats and Guns. The, the newsletter is the, is the key. So is the Patreon because that's where I do a lot of stuff behind the paywall that a lot of people don't see. And I think that that's where the value really is driven because I have a community behind the scenes where we all chat all day long, as well as um, I'm constantly doing, you know, private podcasts and private posts, which are usually the first there. My patrons are going to get my best ideas first, and then they'll leak out into the world. And then we'll have a conversation like this one later on. So like, that's Tom. who I, I test all my, my best ideas out on them first. So see you guys. Thank you. Thank you.